Hi, welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at KatherineCanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I have spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, he told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Peter Campo, you are the author of The Emergent Approach to Strategy, found on the web at emergentapproach.com, also at Amazon. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. So tell me, Peter, let's talk about the book, The Emergent Approach to Strategy. Can you just kind of give me, is it possible to um, kind of talk high level about strategy? Yeah, in your book, talk high level about what the book is trying to say about strategy for sure. I like it. It's uh, really in two parts, and the first half of the book is a theory of strategy, a new theory of strategy, and what that implies for for design, what it implies for execution, what it implies for strategy tests, and then the second half of the book is pure practice. And it is a set of not only design principles, but an overall, you might say strategy, an overall approach to how to create strategy. And uh, the two parts of the book are obviously linked in that the practice in part two um, uses the new theory in part one. Now, everything in part two is not new. I try my best to keep all that is traditional uh, that can be applied and that still makes sense, but there's a lot of modifications. Can you talk about, well, I have a question first. When you when you broke down the book into two different areas, was there one that was just easier to flow and easier to write and more fun? That's a, that's a great question. Um, Writing this was not easy for me. I'm not an author. I was never a writer. Uh, uh, I think actually maybe the practice was a little easier because the theory had to be very, uh, everything had to be tied up. It had to be very tight. It had to be um, very consistent. 
and language had to be right. And that's very hard in the strategy area because there's so much different language. There's so much confusion about what all the words mean that we use all the time. What does a strategy mean? How is it defined? I have a list of 70, on the website, I have a list of 75 definitions. And yeah, you can boil them down to eight or nine or so, but even the top strategy people out there that you listen to all the time don't have the same definitions of terminology and definitions of strategy. So I think the theory was a little harder, yes. Yeah, consistency is key with uh, communication. I feel like we've we've learned that, or at least that's something that I've learned. And um, if we're not consistent with, you know, what is strategy and what's the theory of it, makes it hard to execute. It makes it hard, you know, within an organization just to communicate down the levels or up the levels, whichever way you're positioned. If it's not consistent and clear, it makes it hard. And um, that can be tricky. I, you know, could I say that's a really, that's a really important point. And it's working in two places. Not only do corporations and businesses and nonprofits, any organization have difficulty with common language. What the hell do we mean by we're going to grow in so-and-so profitably and with excellence? You know, not only do corporations have the problem, but the strategy industry, the academic consultants, you know, that whole complex has an enormous difficulty with language. Words are thrown around um, uh, so carelessly, in a sense. And we were talking briefly before we went on the air about Clayton Christensen and how he even had to publish a paper in 2015 saying, stop just using the word, um, uh, uh, the word, um, his famous word. Oh my God, I, I'm missing it. Come on, help me. Uh, disruption. Disruption. Yeah. Uh, stop using the dis word disruption for any case you want it. You want for for any time a business does better than another business, or any time a product does better than another product. That's not what it means. It has a very specific technical meaning, and so there's carelessness everywhere, and the fact that. Most people who write about strategies have a consulting business and, you know, are marketing at the same time. This is very tricky. And so it's it's a problem for not only leaders and corporations, it's a problem for the whole strategy, academic, you know, uh, body of knowledge itself. Yeah, I've, I've loved the conversation we had before. I should probably just start taping them when, you know, we jump in because I feel like sometimes there's there's always gold in that too. Um, that reminds me when you talk about how Clayton argued and, and, and shared, you know, not everything is a disruption. I was out at a board planning session and sitting with the directors and they asked for me to facilitate this session. And I challenged with the way they were thinking in regards to not everything is a disruption. And what we're doing is just the same thing that we've always been doing, but maybe we're going to refine the customer experience a little bit. We're going to clarify some communication processes that we're going to have internally. This is not disruptive stuff. This is not creating the iPhone that's never been created before. Um, this is not, you know, creating something that that's never been around before. And it shouldn't be disturbing to hear that there's a, a difference in definitions that 
there's just not that much disruption taking place. We no. can all refine it and just better communicate. Um, I'm going to pause for a minute and just kind of, I feel like you have some thoughts that maybe you want to share. Well, I mean, I think this is, this is right. Words like disruption and transformation mm-hmm. get thrown, excellence get thrown around so much that they completely lose, they completely lose their meaning. Um, Christensen just made a great discovery and developed a whole theory of how important it is disruption, but it doesn't apply in, in every case, hardly at all, where um, low value, uh, low performance, low cost products come in early and then work their ways up. Uh, we saw this at DuPont. We never got beat up by uh a better product almost never got beat up by a better product. It was always products that were good enough to start taking share. And this is a very, very important model. Yet 90% of what I see where the word disruption is used um, is nothing like that. It's just, we're gonna be better. We're gonna transform, we're gonna be better. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. When you, you shared your, your DuPont background before we hit record, I have to also wanted to share with you that the small town that I live in in South Carolina was transformed by DuPont. Um, it brought in an incredible amount of jobs. It brought in income and disposable spending and, and just amazing opportunities for this area. So um, DuPont you know, was able to give. And as a result of that, our community was impacted in a favorable way, like many other communities, small communities around um, the country and and beyond. So um, you obviously have a lot of background with DuPont. Do you mind just talking about how some of that work applied into your thinking and, and the work that you're doing now? Yes. Yeah. And yes, uh, DuPont, it, you know, one of the great companies in history, it's now been uh, broken up into smaller pieces, and there's a new DuPont that's still a great company, of course. But what you talked about was the truly transformational uh, uh, new products and new capability that DuPont put in towns all over the country and now overseas and then overseas. Um, I spent 25 years at DuPont in a wide variety of, uh, of uh, leadership positions. I had I was trained as a uh, PhD chemical engineer and as a musician. And I uh, went to DuPont and from a strategy point of view, I had always been interested in how innovation occurs and how creativity occurs and how people did what they did, like the great musicians that I knew about first and then the great scientists that I knew about in uh, when I studied you know, engineering and, and physical science. Um, when I got into DuPont, I was disappointed in how strategy was done and how it was considered. And frankly, I learned and I kind of knew right away because of the army of consultants that were always brought into the company that the outside world wasn't much different. And what I saw, and I now see this almost everywhere, is that strategies are long lists of supposedly good things to do. Um, with a big vision on top of it and goals and maybe some plans with some names and dates and that kind of thing, but nothing that really gave insight, nothing that gave real-time guidance for making decisions as you walk down the road. They were platitudes in many ways. They were 
they were cliches sometimes and just you know goals sub goals um i was disappointed with that and i do believe that one of the reasons why dupont couldn't survive after 200 years um, and reinvent itself again was in part because that they we really didn't have strategy methods that that would have been good enough and i started making notes i started writing and over time i would start developing my ideas in a more concrete way and i would use them in the company and many people were very interested in them but at some point i had to go full time and work on it on my own to get it right because it was such a large task it was a little bit of a crazy thing to do as a lone person you know working in his music studio creating a book on strategy most of the books like this were created by uh, people in big consultant houses or or you know big academic departments um but I think it's also known that sometimes the new ideas come from un unusual places as well. So, isn't that? Oh, go ahead. Please go. No, I was going to comment that it, you know, isn't that where the great disruption comes from? Is from that small player who has, a, a, you know, starts out with a, an MVP, minimal viable product solution idea, test it small. It's totally understated. Nobody even, you know, oh man. I mean, what could Peter know? You know, not a big deal. And then here you come out of a music studio. Nobody would ever think this. And what if that's that's just the next great, great thing? It can happen that way. And of course, I believe it's happened in, 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 in my situation. I think I'm saying something different. Of course, I use the same words in many cases, and that's a problem because everybody's so so confused by all the noise of the words. You go on LinkedIn, you go on Medium you read the business journals and you know everybody's just using the same words in different ways without definition it's 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 a tricky area but um i i decided i had to write it down i decided i had to get it out there and i'll spend my time getting people to understand it as best i can and hopefully they can move away from the long list of platitudes and goals and cliches and start to get something that's really tough and really difficult because strategy is very difficult. It's there's no recipe. You cannot buy the latest book that says here's how you do it in five steps or 10 steps. This is the answer. No, it doesn't work like that. And I don't give any strategy advice in my book. There's no advice about what markets you should be in, what products, what anything. It's for it's it's a technique it's an approach and a discipline so that you can find your own reality, so you can find your own strategy. I think discipline is the key word in there because so many people get down the road, they change their mind, they're not committed, you know, they hit a bump in the road. Um, but that discipline of continuing to show up day in and day out and making adjustments um, allows for that success. And I'm curious to hear from you, you're doing some um, consulting work with with businesses that are out there in regards to strategy. Do you have a particular success case that you know you you're loving working with this individual or this company, this um, this line that maybe you can share? Well, I'd, I'd like to share. Well, um, I had uh, several situations in Dupont that were were really successful, um, and I'd like to mention that one thing that was interesting was the operations organizations uh, manufacturing and supply chain had a, a much greater interest than most of the business leaders and the reason was 
Well, two reasons. Most business leaders think they know all about strategy already, so no one's going to tell them anything, right? If only my people would execute, everything would be great. It's all because my people don't execute. All right, what's execution? Okay, we'll get into that. That's another question. But the many manufacturing, the manufacturing organization, operations organization, were, in my view, and many said this, kind of desperate from guidance from the businesses. And all they got was lists of goals. Meet these objectives. Well, which products are most important? Which customers are most important? Which technology should we develop? Should we give line time to R&D or should we give line time to the, these customers? What kind of people should we hire? Where are we going? What, or, or, or should, we, should we keep investing in the U.S. plant or should we, should we add to the Chinese plant? It, 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 they were not getting direction on these kinds of things. And um, we had many, uh, several cases where um, we were able to bring order by bringing the business side and the manufacturing, the operation side together on the same page and start to get common language and, and to array, just dump all the lists of goals. Sometimes the goals would go on for six, seven pages mm -hmm. and, and just stop, just get rid of it all. Articulate your goals clearly, one goal, two goals. And now what's in the way? The bottleneck is a big question. And then what kind of policies or rules will bring these organizations together? I'm extraordinarily simplifying it. But the point I'm trying to make is that um, the, one of the biggest successes in DuPont was working with manufacturing people because they were hungry for direction from the business. And some of the, business, the best successes that resulted were, is where we ended up doing segmentation type work where the business had to make decisions. They had to face up to making choices between different customers, different product developments, um, different regions and markets. Uh, and it could be hard and difficult, very painful to let go of a customer that was good for you five, 10 years ago and maybe isn't as good anymore, but that's who got you there, very hard to let go. Real strategy means tough, tough trade-offs. Let me go to, uh, uh, we were talking a little bit about um, a program I'm involved with. Um, uh, El Sistema is a worldwide program that uh, brings music every day after school, all afternoon, and then sometimes, and, and then summer programs as well for at-risk kids. And it's a beautiful situation they get uh, they get homework, they get uh, homework time and music lessons and drumming lessons and singing and all kinds of things. And it, it's really a wonderful program. Started in Venezuela uh, in the 70s and has become worldwide. It's called El Sistema. And some programs are called El Sistema Influenced um, or Inspired Programs. And there's 140 in the U.S. now. So I got involved with this program and it was identical to a DuPont business in that there were pages and pages of strategic priorities. How are you gonna have 35 strategic priorities? Well, we did the same thing and they're really good people and they, they had an inkling that 
this was not strategy and this didn't make sense. And they made some very, very tough decisions about what to stop doing, what to keep doing, driven by some principles and, and some basic uh, strategic principles. So I, it's interesting that some of my, the best impact was on manufacturing organizations desperate from information from businesses and from a nonprofit that would seem as different from a business, you know, a, a manufacturing business in in the U.S. as as uh, as it as it could be, you know. I think it's funny. Some I've met with so many clients over the years, and they always think, you know, I'm unique. I'm unique. My business is unique. Nobody else does it anyway like I do. You need to sit down and totally relearn everything because I'm totally different. And I hate to break it to them, but, you know, there's always going to be some similarities in there. And, you know, you try to have a little compassion and and like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally unique. Nobody else does it this way. And yet there's always some similarities in there. So it's always fun to see it because I also think you can share so many best practices from somebody who's not in the same industry and be able to leverage that to be able to grow your own business in a unique way. This is a really good point. Yes, every business has some uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Every nonprofit, every government, every military has things that make them unique. But from systems theory, from complex adaptive systems theory and the and and the theories of emergence, what we know is that there are certain commonalities in trying to make change and innovate and get better, right? There are certain basic fundamental principles that apply. What's not good is if we turn those principles into very specific advice. Here, do this. Go to this market. Go to this, uh, you know, have products that look like this. Hire people like this. That probably is not going to be good advice unless the consultant is really clued into what the reality is there. But what I'm trying to do, and I think others, is give guidance that could apply to anyone, but you have to make it your own. You have to find your own reality in it. Um, So, for example, one of the things that is probably more unique to my work, uh, Richard Rummel, very important strategist, also focuses on this, but no matter who you are, or what you're trying to do, whether you're trying to write music, whether you're trying to discover a scientific um, uh, uh, theory or, 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 or learn about something in, in science, or whether you're a business or a government, to find a strategy, you have to figure out what's in the way of getting the And every system in the world is constrained or else it would just produce infinite amounts of whatever you want. And um, this is a fundamental principle that would apply to any endeavor in the world. Um, If you want to find a strategy policy that will help give guidance to the organization, you've got to build it around the bottleneck, what's in the way, or else you end up writing long lists of good things to do because everything matters, but everything doesn't matter. Solving what's in the way is what matters. 
yeah, closing those gaps, making it, making, smoothing it out, um, tailoring it to the, to the individuals so they can understand it. You know, for, for folks that are just kind of like, okay, I, I, I agree. Tra- strategy is, is tricky. Um, you mentioned something earlier and I think it really breaks it down to some simplicity and I guess maybe it's too obvious to talk about it, but I want to get your opinion on this. You mentioned something around, there's some um, commonality around creating change. So there's people that listen and they're like, yeah, I agree. I need a strategy. I need to create change, but what are some of these small things that I can start doing now? Like when I hang up this podcast and stop listening, put my earbuds down because when we're in it, we don't always see it. So do you, do you mind talking about, you know, what are some of those commonalities to create change and what are some of those kind of low hanging fruit um, ideas that maybe can get somebody unstuck? That's a, it's a great question. And we were just touching on it. Um, My book kind of gives a full blast version that a corporation would need, but if you were looking to start on a smaller scale, and it's actually even a good way to start for a large organization, is just start with the three things we were talking about. Can you articulate what your goal, what your aspiration is without jargon? Can you articulate it very clearly and get other people to say, I understand what that means? And then, and you put this on just one piece of paper, what's in the way? What's the bottleneck? And this can be a lot of different things. It could be money and resources and assets. It could be complexity, confusion. It can be a lack of uh, people. It can be you don't have the right products or the right services to achieve the aspiration you want, so on and so forth. It can be a lot of different categories. It can be confusion. Then say, what's a strategy policy? What's a strategy rule that could help us get around that bottleneck, lessen that bottleneck? Um, I, I use a very simple example in my book, a made-up example of launching a bike shop that would apply to a very simple organization, right? And I point out that there's a guy who, or a gal, you don't know whether it's a guy or a gal. Um, Of course, I use guy uh, gender-free. A guy who wants to start a bike shop, but but let's say it's a he. He, um, He knows everything about bikes, but he doesn't know anything about business, right? So, and he doesn't have any money or anything like that. So what's his bottleneck? What does he have to bust? He has to bust the fact that this is very confusing and that all the national bike makers will come solve it for him by bringing in their brands and their collateral and their advertising and their store displays. And he says, I don't want to do it. Um, I want to keep my individuality. So what's the bottleneck to doing this? It's very complicated and there's so much to do. And I'm new to, to, to this idea of doing business. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do everything my way as simple as possible. 
I'll never spend a penny on anything that's not in the service of fixing bikes and bringing good products to, um, to my customers. Um, and this became the strategy. Very, very simple. Called it my thing strategy. I'll collect all the best things I can find. I'm not going to get stuck with any one supplier. But the way I'm going to make it work is super simplicity. I'm not even going to paint the walls. I'm going to buy some furniture from Ikea to, for displays. I'm, I'm going to let my tech guy play music in the back. I won't even have a phone. I'll just have cell phones and a little and a little square reader on the bottom of the phone. Um, it all comes from understanding what's in the way. That's the number one thing that anybody can do. Don't start writing down everything that could possibly be important. Don't write down a list. I need a great advertising. I need great products. I need great accessories. I need to have a great store with a great um, uh, uh, sign and uh, great insight and great collateral and a great website and um, all kinds of great advertising campaigns and so forth. And I'm gonna do all of these. This is the mentality of so many strategy approaches and then we're gonna measure our progress against all of them in a balanced scorecard. No, no, you haven't asked what's really in the way. What's the thing keeping us from the, the first level of success that we wanna get? So that's my advice for how to start. All right. Aspiration, bottleneck, strategy rule. Start working that triad. And then when you need more deeper thought, you can dig into other things of, from other people and from my book and so forth. But that's the place to start. Like and it, it sounds trivial. It sounds trivial. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. I think it is extremely hard to do. I'm just thinking about a number of scenarios in my head right now, and it's not always that easy to simplify it to what truly is in the way and how do you articulate it? And then how do you attack it? Um, it's just not that easy. And you mentioned earlier before we started talking that you've got a number of resources on your website. Do you mind talking about those a little bit and sharing those with us? Yeah, there's a few things on the website. The first is I didn't use traditional appendices in the book. I put them online instead so that I can improve them and, and change them over time. So there's all kinds of book supplements to the chapters. Um, I mentioned one before, I, 75 definitions of strategy in chapter one I have in the book supplement online. Um, the second is I have five new tests of strategy called the five, a new set of tests called the five disqualifiers. You can find some examples of those there that aren't in the book, but there's a detailed chapter eight in the book on the five disqualifiers, which are tests that are much less subjective. But then relating to getting started, there are what I call the five task sets. And this is a guidebook a little guidebook to using the practice of the emergence approach. And this is a section on the website. All you need is an email and a password to get in. And um, it goes uh, not in a recipe form, but in a design principle form uh, where you do an initial draft of what we just talked about, um, your little framework, and it can be bigger or smaller, and then you work it. 
you evolve it, you beat it up, you suffer with it until it starts to emerge, until the uh, picture starts to emerge. And one thing I say is that the difference between a recipe and an emergence approach is an emergence approach is like solving a puzzle versus following a recipe. And you don't know what the picture is going to be yet because you don't have a box with the picture on top. You don't have a clear definition of where the puzzle begins and ends. You'll never have all the pieces. Sometimes the pieces change shape, the whole schmear. It's like a dynamic puzzle. Anyway, this five task sets that are online are design principles and this running example of a bike shop to show how you would apply these design principles to create a strategy framework. I think that's fantastic. There's also in there some uh, uh, some thoughts on how to design teams for a good strategy development. Um, little things like, you know, don't be so quick to use Pareto's law, you know, the 80-20 rule and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so I think uh, people could get a lot out of that guidebook and then they can refer back to the book when uh, they need a more detailed explanation of the, what's behind the, uh, the, the approach. Fantastic. I can't help but notice all your uh, musical instruments, support systems, everything in the background. Talk about that for a minute. I can't help but but notice. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in a in a, music, a musical family. My parents were both musicians. Went back generations uh, in New York, and um, that's pretty much all I did early in life. But then, um, for various reasons that we can't get into, I kind of had to go go to school and. You know, if you keep going to school, eventually they give you degrees. And I just kept going and going. And kind of when I was 30 years old, I, I finished my uh, engineering uh, doctorate and went to work for DuPont. But I never gave up the music. And I've always written. I have a uh, music site on YouTube. It's called Peter Campo Music. And it's kind of a mix of electronica and what you would call classical music as well. And uh, it's just a big part of my life that... I don't have enough time for and never did, but I won't, uh, I'll never give it up completely. So it's, it's just the background, I suppose, for what I do. I think it, um, it complements you and uh, it, it creates some balance and a, a little bit of an outlet um, to be able to, to keep your brain going with all that creativeness that, that you're creating right now. I mean, it's, it's creative in business, creative in music. I think it, it's more uh, actually my musical background gave me something further. It's that I don't think I would have seen uh, how innovation and creativity has to be so disciplined. And this is something I do get into that we didn't talk about in the theory, but you know, jazz, my father was a jazz musician, you know, Jazz is held up as like this great example, this exemplar of what innovation and creativity is all about, right? Especially jazz improvisation. And when I got into the corporate world and I would hear this, they would always make it sound like, well, that's just freedom. You just got to set yourself free, you know? And, oh, the problem with business people is they don't set themselves free and therefore they're not creative. Well, this is complete bullshit. The people who are just free in music just play cliches. 
the the people who do great improvisation and great composition and really create something new and innovative have enormous discipline. The problem is you can't see it. It's deep. It's in a different language. They might not even know what the discipline was or that they couldn't tell you, but I knew it was there. And I think that ironically, seeing the discipline in music, that music is designed, not just comes from the sky, um, uh, allowed me to see how much discipline was a part of business and technology and science, the creativity of business, technology and science. But it has to be at a lower level. It's a different way of thinking about it. And chapter two of the book does a, a bit of a deep dive into how that looks and why emergence works as it does and why the designs of strategy are um, disciplined. Peter, if someone wanted to reach out to you, learn more, um, connect with you, what is uh, the best way to, to do that? Um, they can hit me up on my website or LinkedIn. Uh, um, I've post often on LinkedIn and you can see a lot of these things we've talked about in there and little posts, uh, and all my contact information is there. You can go to info at emergentapproach.com as well. So easy to get in touch with me. I really appreciate your time and sharing all of these insights and stories. It makes it fun to continue to learn and connect. Um, Peter Campo, you are the author of the emergent approach to strategy found on the web at emergentapproach.com, also found on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to talk with you, Catherine. My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at katherinecanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherinecanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Katherine Canty. Thanks so much for being here. Mm-hmm.